0: The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd, and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. So uh, welcome
1: everyone to another episode of the Video Insiders. I'm Dror Gill, and with me, as always, my co-host, Mark Donegan. Hey Mark, how are you doing today?
0: Hey, drawer as usual, I'm doing great.
1: That's awesome. We are thousands of miles apart, but um, during the recording, we see each other
0: a few centimeters apart. Connected via the internet. Imagine that. And and this is a show about video streaming. Uh, Which works uh, quite well during the podcast
1: recording, and it's nice that we can see each other. And speaking about video insiders, today we have a true video insider... We are hosting Steph van der Gilles, who is the founder of Jetstream.com. Hello, Steph, and welcome to the podcast.
2: Great to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's uh, great to talk to you. By the way, I love Jetstream. I like the logo. It's like flying. My dad was a pilot, so, you know, so right away I'm like, wow, this is cool. Jetstream. So, how'd you get the name, <laughs> or how'd you settle on the name?
2: I just, I, I, I like the name Jetstream. Uh, and a funny story is once a, a, a pilot uh, tried to work with the company because he didn't really read, read the website. He just sent his in the, his resume and it said, "I'm a pilot. I want to work he, for." He it.
1: thought it was an aviation company.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So, tell us a bit about yourself, your background.
2: Okay. Yeah. Um, my name is Steph, and I, I'm 49 years old, and I founded Jetstream. I think 18, 19 years ago, and I've been in streaming in involved in many years. I have a daughter. She's 12. I live in a small town nearby Groningen, which is the fifth city in the Netherlands. uh, And everything is nearby Amsterdam. So we're like one and a half hours from Amsterdam. And I live in a rural area in uh, in the Netherlands. Really, really pretty. Do you have windmills? (laughs) I do have wooden shoes, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what do you use them for? Yeah. Well, I, I live in a very old farmhouse and it's modernized, of course. It's very beautiful, but in the inside it's just a modern house. But it, if you live on the outside, you need to go out and, you know, put, put the trash out, do it in the wooden shoes and <laughs> do it like that. That's
1: awesome. <laughs> yeah. So um, what were you doing before Jetstream?
2: Uh, I owned an internet production company, and that was started because we were doing a lot of streaming and website for events, for live uh, concerts and festivals. I started streaming in 1994. I, I was working in a club, uh, in a venue here in the city. And we were uh, filming all the concerts. And I was responsible for publicity. So I was making posters and magazines and doing some PR. And then the internet came in 92 and 93. And so we bought a modem and started to go online and build our first webpage. And we started to upload some pictures of the of the concerts. And then I said, why, why can't we just also upload some, some video footage? Because we, we have this create videos and they said okay Steph you're crazy I mean it takes like half an hour to upload one minute of of MPEG 1 video and to download it again so that doesn't make sense but we did it anyway and it was fun and then at one night we sat at the bar of course drank a beer and I said okay we're uploading one minute videos takes like half an hour but the next step is live we want to do live video on the internet and everyone laughed at me and said okay guys uh, let's drink more beer and have more fun but that's not going to work and we just tried and and fiddled around with some computers and we had this this Macintosh uh, it was called a Performa 630 and it had a grabber board and actually I was on the the first floor and on the floor below there was the, the video guys and we just drilled a hole in the floor and put out the video cables and and, and plugged it into the, in the computer and said, I have live video in the computer, now, now let's go to the next step. So we found this small app, uh, a Mac app, and it was a frame grabber. It could actually grab frames as fast as it could uh, and save it on the hard drive. And then we had an FTP script uploading these JPEGs to a server as fast as it could through the 28.8K modem. And then we had these JPEGs on the server, and then Netscape came out with a new version of the server and the browser, and it was called HTTP Keep Alive. So instead of, you know, opening up a, a connection, getting a web page, parsing it, opening up a connection, getting the image, it kept the connection open so you could actually push content through the open connection. So uh, I wasn't technical, right? Some of the guys in in there, he wrote a CGI script and said, let's just push those JPEGs uh, in line. So Yeah, basically, if you had Netscape 1.12 beta on a Mac, you could actually watch inline JPEGs refreshing each other. And the faster your connection, the faster frame rate. So back then, we invented frame rate adaptive bitrate streaming. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) wow.
1: So you were a pioneer of, of live video streaming on the internet in 1994
2: we didn't have any audio it was just you know one frame per second you saw someone holding a guitar like this and then like that and it was rubbish the images were bad but it was live and it was i was like wow this is amazing i mean we're changing the world we are just two guys with a computer and just and everyone was like yeah Steph, that that looks like shit here is a beer <laughs> 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 but i was yeah it, it touched me i was like oh, this is this is so cool and if connections go up we can yeah, send more yeah. images you, you
1: saw this vision that when, when connectivity improves the quality will improve but basically it will work the same grabbing video encoding it and streaming it out
2: and i said in 10 years time we will replace television and but it <laughs> took like 30 a <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> uh, performa 630 so do you know in 1994, I upgraded to a Performa 630 in my recording studio, and that machine was a workhorse.
2: Yeah, but actually the Quadras were, were better, were better performance, they had better CPUs and better GPUs, but they didn't have those grabber cards.
1: So how many viewers did you have?
2: I think just four, because we, we just posted it on Usenet and I said, hey guys, if you have a Mac and you have Netscape 1.12 beta, because it wasn't out for Windows yet. And the number of people with a Mac was, was limited. So we just put it on our Usenet or maybe on IRC. I just put it on some IRC channels. And we're... Actually, the day we did the, the actual live event wasn't intended to be the first live event. We, could, we were just doing a test because the week after we wanted to actually have a larger concert with a bigger band, and stream that live and and announce it, but we were just you know fooling around and we it worked so we had just you know said okay let's move the computer uh, next to the the stage and actually the the door next to the ch- stage was a kitchen, so we moved the Mac computer to the kitchen and we we actually pulled a phone line from the central heart of the of the organization of the, of the location to the kitchen and plug it into the modem and it was just duct tape all over. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so let's fast forward to today tell us what you're focused on and uh you know how did you get from there to here
2: <laughs> how do we get there the short version is we started to stream more live events and then of course real video and real audio came uh, along so did you essentially become a producer production company? Yeah we started doing production not not even as a company just as some guys having fun with computers and broadcasting events live for festivals.
0: But you were doing this and you were getting paid for it or was this sort of like a serious hobby? (laughs) It was
2: a serious hobby and then with the guys we we started to produce these events. We started an internet production company building websites for corporates and for events and then we, we still did a lot of live streaming and after a few years of building websites, I said, okay, I don't like building websites anymore. Uh, I miss the creativity, but also the deeper tech of video. So I started Jetstream. I founded Jetstream with, uh, with a mission to make streaming more accessible for, for pre- professional customers like broadcasters, publishers, enterprises, and so. The first platform we offered was uh, called Streamzilla. It was a number of servers, and we found out a trick to run QuickTime streaming server, Windows Media server, real server icecast and apache on the single machine so we we were very efficient in running all those services and if you uploaded one of those streaming formats to the server it had a shared route you could stream it out through one of the services so it had uh, like a unified streaming application and we built a, a central analytics engine so Whatever format was being served out, you could get a central statistics engine to see how many viewers you had and uh, for what minutes people were watching those streams or videos. And uh, it was productized, so we had small, basic, and large part packages and started to sell it. And it was a great timing because uh, broadband just picked up; it was the uh, you know the beginning of broadband. So everyone with a website needed video. So we we were quickly. Getting a lot of traction, and people were starting to host their videos with us and do live streams through our platform. So that was the first step. And then, uh, because of our experience with uh, streaming and also with building some temporary CDNs, because you know, in, also in the late '90s, we actually broke down the internet here in the Netherlands because we were overloading the ISPs with servers on in the network. So we decentralized some servers, put multiple servers in multiple ISPs. It was too expensive to keep them running. So after the event, we just you know took away the servers. Um, but we built some basic CDNs uh, back then. And we were asked to help build larger CDNs for customers, also for uh, cable operators. And that's basically how JetTeam started. And I think in the first five years we grew like 1800%, which was, what, which was insane.
1: And your customers were mainly local in, in the Netherlands?
2: Netherlands, but we also already reached out to customers outside of the Netherlands. So we had customers in most of Western European countries. And then we uh, decided to automate everything that we were doing manually. And I think in 2010, we released software, which we called Video Exchange. It's an orchestration platform to orchestrate st- servers, so origin servers, uh, edge servers, uh, multiple CDNs, orchestration, which is what we call on orchestration in the infrastructure. But it's also orchestrating streaming workflows for customers. So setting up live streams, securing streams, uploading videos, generating URLs, getting statistics out. That's what we launched back then. We started to license this technology to telecom operators uh, directly or through vendors. But after a few years, we stopped this because... We didn't like the way they could support their customers they didn't have the experience or the knowledge or they tried to steal the technology and use us to get a customer on board and then sell it and then run away with the customer and we were like okay that that, that's not our business Uh, so we went full SaaS afterwards and Kept building out the platform over and over. That's how the company started.
1: And how how do you differentiate yourself today? Because there's so many companies offering uh, cloud services. Even the big cloud providers like you know Amazon, Microsoft are offering their own media services. Then you have the the online video platforms and the encoding houses and so many companies today competing. Uh, you know some of them offer just encoders. Some offer encoders and players. Um, Some of them do the hosting. Some of them even bring you content or ads. Um, Really a a, a jungle out there of so many companies.
2: And it's too crowded. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You go to NAB or IBC, you see so many vendors, some of them local, some of them international. And everyone's marketing messages are the
0: same. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, streaming, streaming
1: out of the box, right? End to end, Netflix in a box. <laughs> yeah, Netflix in a box or YouTube yeah. in a b- or whatever. So how, how do you differentiate your, your platform from the other offerings out there?
2: Yeah, it's becoming very crowded in the industry and everyone, everyone is doing the same, basically. And that's that's going to be an, an issue. And I think uh, there will be some consolidation. I think uh, we already see that people are also, uh, companies are going down, you know, they're they're, they're going smaller. Because they cannot make up for the promises they had to their investors. Now, we are not an investor-backed company. We just started with zero and started making our own money and started to grow and grow and grow. So uh, I'm the owner of the company and we've made some money. And some years we make money, some other years we invest the money back into new features and into growth especially last year we did a lot of deep investments ourselves Um, one of the things we differentiate with is that we built our own cloud it's it's our own cloud infrastructure it's Docker and kubernetes based but it doesn't use any virtualization and it's purely tuned for streaming and it has a few benefits first of all if we had to buy capacity from clouds it's rather expensive and you still need quite some expertise to keep your application running on a third-party cloud so We've always been running our own infrastructure, so we also built our own new cloud, and it's a European streaming cloud, and it's extremely high-performing, so it's it's cheaper to operate for us instead of outsourcing it to a third-party cloud, and the performance is, is is stunning. It's it's I think it's loading 400-plus times faster than other clouds, because we are built for streaming. You cannot host websites or applications or anything else on our cloud. It's just built for live and on-demand streaming. And... Because we have our own infrastructure, we can also run all all kinds of cool applications on top of that, which we could not just have run on other platforms, uh, either technically, or from a business, commercial, or cost-based perspective. So we have all kinds of applications. Like we just launched an application called On Air, and On Air is a live encoder in your browser. It captures 4K quality video from your browser. It's not using WebRTC, but the proprietary stuff. But you don't have to install anything. It's just JavaScript. You you, you go to the portal. It asks for your for your video and audio and you can start streaming with a single click. And then in our cloud we do the live transcoding, the caching, the hosting, the multi CDN streaming. It's all automated. So the only thing you have to do is click and you're you're on air and, and you know everything starts. So it's the encoding, transcoding, hosting.
0: And what protocols is that built on if it's not WebRTC? And what are the latencies? You know, that's hot right now is ultra low latency. So.
2: People hope it's hot.
0: <laughs> Everybody wants to talk about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, they so. want to talk about it. But in the end, people prefer quality instead of low latency. Um, for most use cases, low latency, low, really low latency is not that of an issue. Um, we have latency in 4K streaming from glass to glass at 12 seconds, including transcoding and player caching, which is pretty fast. So uh, on-air, what it does is you have what they call a canvas. So you can put the video on a canvas on your browser, and we capture it in the browser as video. And it's uploaded as blobs of data to our cloud over HTTP. And then we start transcoding it instantly to HLS, and then we cache it over multiple CDNs and then play it in the player.
0: And when you say you built your own cloud, so literally you have a data center...
2: No, we 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 rent rack capacity in uh, in data centers, and those data centers are in Europe only. Uh, multiple data centers, and we have our own hardware and our own network within uh, those racks. So we have our own core network. Uh, our own servers, our own storage,
0: so it's your hardware, and obviously, it makes sense that that you're you're renting the power and the connectivity and the and the and the cooling yes. I mean that's basically what you're paying for in a data center, right
2: exactly yeah, and that's that's a differentiator because virtually all video platforms out there just outsource to a third party cloud and hope that the stuff is running on there and they have to pay for it. but in the end, even in the long term, it's cheaper to run your own infrastructure uh, and operate it
0: our audience are very uh, interested in, in codecs. And, you know, so our usual question is, you know, what codecs are you supporting? And, you know, what are you seeing in terms of, for example, Chrome now supports HEVC, which, you know, literally two months ago, we, we, you know, we would have been saying, oh, you must be H264. And everybody's like, yeah, you know, maybe a little VP9, but
2: Actually, I heard a rumor that uh, Apple's M2 chips now include uh, AV1 uh, decoding as well. I have
0: heard under good, um, good authority that that is quite possibly true. <laughs>
2: and that, that's also very interesting. I, I, you know, we had these codex wars uh, like 10 years ago with Microsoft and Real and Apple. And, and fortunately, we had H.264. And I think for like 10 years, it's been stable. H.264, uh, AAC, HLS or Dash. We now support 8K streaming from our platform, and of course, 8K streaming, um, and 6K, and also 4K streaming would actually need better codecs than H.264. Our current platform is built to support H.264 video and AAC audio, either one channel, two channel, uh, 5.1, 7.1, or m- whatever audio mix you you would have it in there. You can directly upload your media to our content roots to our origin. So, whatever content you encode yourself, we support and we stream it out. You may need to have uh, a custom player to, 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 you know, to decode specific codecs, but we're very open and transparent. Uh, I mean, regular video platforms will transcode content for you. You cannot bypass the transcoding service, but with us, you can. Our default transcoding service is uh, based on FFmpeg. So basically everything that FFmpeg can decode and encode, we can do it as well. We just had a roadmap discussion, a brainstorm this morning and talked about AV1, H.265, HDR video, uh, you know, Dolby Atmos audio. Basically, the web streaming vendors are all stuck to H.264, but we want to make the step to all these more advanced codings.
0: But you said you support today 4K and 8K. It seems to me like to get high quality you're going to have to move beyond h two six four but today you're limited on h two six four so you must be streaming pretty high bit rates, I guess, or how does that work
2: uh, I'm not sure I, I don't have the bit rates in my head, but I think uh, 4k streaming is between twenty and thirty megabits per second on average, but of course we want to make the step to better codecs and and reduce the bit rate uh, if, if we can yeah, but I think in the in the in, in the fundamentals of the cloud uh, our own cloud. The fact that we can output 8K video at like 100 megabits per second without any buffering issues, um, that's showing the strength that the, the, the fundament of the cloud supports 8K streaming at those bit rates. I mean, there's hardly any customer who can receive that fast data, but at least we can put it out. I mean, if you, if you upload 8K to an S3 bucket or to a generic cloud or CDN or video platform, it will not perform because it cannot just pump out the data.
0: Yeah, so I have a I have a question. You know, it's uh, and and Dora and I have lived this when you're building a transcoding service, when you're building a platform wow, it, it, it's always just one more feature to add, <laughs> one more codec to support. Yeah.
1: And after you finish with all the legacy, then
0: new protocols, you know, low latency and surround and all of that. And, and then everybody's excited if you'll just add this one more and then you add that and then there's one more and it literally is never ending. That's
2: no, feature creep. Yeah.
0: So um, my question is, you know, how, how have you overcome that? Because clearly like even the fact that it sounds like today your platform is is really supporting mainly or even exclusively H.264. So you've not chosen to support VP8, VP9, AV1, HEVC, VVC, LCEVC, you know, on and on and on. So there's a lot of questions that, that we can unpack here. And I think we should talk about it because, you know, many, many, many of our listeners, whether they're working for a service or they're working in a platform or they're working for a technology vendor or, no matter where they are in the ecosystem, struggle with trying to figure out, you know, how do I make these trade-offs? At what point do I just say, no, sorry, we don't support that. And then at what point do we say, no, we really do need to support it. So how do you juggle those decisions and walk us through, you know, some of the decisions, you know, I'd be really curious of where you had to maybe say, sorry, we're not going to support that. Or where he said, yeah, we really do have to do the work. So, how do you think about it? Because it's super complex. Um, it
2: is, and and you can totally lose all your money on building a transcoding <laughs> farm that supports it all, yes, right? Yes, bingo. Um, so <laughs> yeah. so we, 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 we have a philosophy in the company and we call this easy smart expert. Easy smart expert, okay. It's not just for the transcoding, it's also for the hosting and the multi-CDN streaming and the player and the statistics. We apply this philosophy on every step in the process. Um, easy means that you should be able to drag and drop a video, it will be transcoded, and you don't have to worry about anything, you just get a video player and just go for it. So that's easy. I mean, we built it on Air application. you can just log into the web browser, start a live stream with a single click and everything is automated for you. You don't have to worry about installing OBS or Wirecast or RTMP or Keyframes, it, it's all automated for you. And that means that it opens up all kinds of use cases for non-technical people to do professional live streaming in 4K, like um, educators, teachers, e-learning, sports, uh, musicians, you know, all the people who just want to start a live stream without worrying. It's like the Google Meet for 4K streaming. That's the simplicity. We do the same for video transcoding. So you drag and drop a video and it automatically will be encoded to hc 64 in multiple bit rates and you get an adaptive stream in a video player. So we create multiple mp 4s. You get uh, real-time HLS uh, out of the system through multiple CDNs in a professional video player. So it's click and stream, click and play. That's easy. And then if you're going to go smart, and every step of the process, so ingesting, transcoding, uploading, storing, multi-CDN you can start tuning stuff in the platform. So if you don't like the standard transcoding profiles, you can actually enable or disable bitrates. Or for live streams, you can say, I prefer low latency or I actually don't care about latency. I want a sports plus quality. That's how you could start tuning the stuff. We have the same for the video player. If you don't like the standard video player, you can instantly customize it and uh, add custom play buttons or poster images or customize the colors of the player. Fully tune it using... JavaScript uh, APIs and documentation and a customizer player embedded in your way. Um, that's what we call smart. We have the easy level for statistics. We have a one page with all your real-time data in there. But if you want to go deeper and do an analysis, we have a second smarter analysis system. But then you have to you know, start thinking about what you're doing. That's great for what we call the engineers. Not necessarily developers, but professional streaming engineers who want to have more control over the process. And then we have what we call the expert level. If you don't like our transcoding service, or you can do it cheaper or better, or you'd like to use HVC uh, or uh, AV1, bypass our transcoding service, encode your stuff yourself and encrypt it or and upload it to our origins, or with a single click you can add your own origin and host it yourself and you'll use our multi-CDN system. And if you don't like our basic uh, multi-CDN algorithm, you can actually override it and say, I want this file to be distributed through CloudFront, but this one through Amazon and this one through Akamai. You can fully manipulate the distribution. You can plug your own video player. And if you don't like our analytics, you can just get access to the data and API and draw the data out of it and build your own analytics uh, service. So this is uh, our philosophy. So to make it easy, we just filter away all the technology, just start click and start streaming and that's it. And if you want to do it smart, you can tune around and fiddle around and customize it without having to have any developing experience. And then as an expert, you can build a workflow in a few minutes instead of building it in months on Azure or ADLPS or whatever you need. Um, Because then you really need to have experience building cloud infrastructure services and maintain it. And that's pretty expensive. And I think that's the way we really differentiate from other vendors because uh, video platforms try to make everything easy, but you don't have the control over the transcoding, the, the distribution, the player. It's a black box and they... Well, they force you into a specific workflow because otherwise they cannot scale it and support it. Uh, but that will limit you in some use cases. And with us, you can go under the hood and go smart or expert. And our expert way gives, I think, well, in 80% of the cases that you want to build a very advanced workflow, you can do this in a few minutes because you can start easy and then at every level go deeper and con- control it and fiddle around and build a workflow that would take months to build on a uh, on cloud.
1: I think that's a really very interesting uh, philosophy that you're uh, presenting. And it not only makes things easy for the customer, it's also better for you because this actually solves the issue which which Mark uh, presented. Uh, you have some standard way of streaming that you've developed and you have a basic set of features you want more? Don't come and ask me for more. You can do it yourself, you can do it on the side, and then you can plug in back into my platform and enjoy all of the benefits that, that your service can give. And I think that's really great.
2: We present it like a matrix. Like it, It's not that you have to do everything on the easy level or everything smart or everything expert. You can just cherry pick whatever you'd like. If you like our player, but you don't like the transcoding, do it yourself. Uh, if you do like our player, but you want to customize it, do it yourself, and do the transcoding yourself. So whatever suits your workflow and your use case, you can build it. And we build it to accommodate most of the use cases for professional customers. And that's basically what you cannot find with video platforms, uh, but also not with the the cloud services. And that's that's our positioning in the market.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Everybody likes to use the word flexibility. You know, uh, again, going back to all the marketing messages are nearly the same. The word "flexible" appears in pretty much everybody's, you know, website on their trade show booth, etc. And yet, we all know that. That's a promise they can almost never deliver on. <laughs> it's not flexible, you know, and, and, and Dora and I have lived in this for the longest time where it's like, you know, geez, we would love to use your encoder, love to use your technology, but we can't because we're on such and such platform. Well, don't they say they're flexible? Well, they say it, but they're not. <laughs>
2: you know, like, well, we don't want to be arrogant, but I think that's the difference between uh, being in the market for almost 30 years and being in the market for less than 10 years. And I think that's the experience that counts.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm curious, Steph, roughly what percentage of your customers, of your users fall into each of those three categories?
2: None, because they use any mix. Uh, some customers start small and do stuff easily, and then they say, "Oh, but I can now start tuning this. Let's let's go there."
0: And as they get more sophisticated, right, even in their own uh, operations, yeah. I can see they progress mm-hmm. through. So, yeah. interesting, but it gives you the ability for them to enter uh, into your product wherever they need to be. So, who are those typical
1: customers? Uh, wh- what type of organizations usually? Uh, use the service? I mean, you know, I don't know, universities or uh, content companies? or.
2: We focus on European customers with either a local, regional, continental or global scale. So the audience can be global because we have multiple CDNs integrated. We, we have a multi-CDN load balancer, deep integration, so we can deliver capacity uh, throughout the world. That's not a problem. But the core market is Europe, European customers, and they can either be broadcasters, publishers, enterprises, education, healthcare, uh, events, uh, and sports. Uh, Those are the main uh, customers we target. And we have customers from all those countries uh, in all those segments. So it's not a specific focus that we're working on. And my main pitch to them is, okay, you can start with a video platform and that could be easy to start with and maybe even cheaper than using Jetstream. Uh, Our packages start at 250 euros per month Uh, The pro package is like 500 per month and then enterprise is a thousand and and so on.
0: And and then you basically pay for usage. Yeah. So you pay for, you know, like, like enterprise, you said a thousand. So a thousand a month gets me access to your technology. Yeah. Is at least
2: how I would think about it. You get all the features.
0: You get all the features. And then I simply pay for. How much? uh, Is it by the minute? Is it gigabytes transferred?
2: Per gigabyte.
0: Per gigabyte. Okay.
2: So per minute, we feel that per minute is more for prosumers and gigabyte is more for professional users.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because if I'm streaming at higher bit rates and higher resolution, um, my file sizes are bigger or, or my stream sizes, you know, if I'm live. so.
2: Or if if we would charge per minute, we would have an incentive to degrade your quality. And that's not something we would like to do.
0: That's yeah, a very good point, yeah.
2: Our real packages start at 500. We have a basic package with 250 euros a month, but we ha- you don't have the pro player. You don't have all the cool, really advanced features. Uh, at 500 euros, you get like enterprise features, but for a, for a very entry-level price. You get a bundle for storage, traffic, and uh, transcoding is paid per minute. The video player is unlimited. Uh, Multi-CDN is built in. I mean, imagine the, the, the cost you would have to build a multi-CDN platform yourself. You have to negotiate with multiple CDNs. You have to find uh, a multi-CDN load balancer and a monitor. And you have to pay all the guys to, to run this service as a SaaS or build it for you. And it's just in there for free. You just pay a price per gigabyte. So there's a lot of value uh, in there for free. And you just pay for the storage and traffic and the transcoding.
0: Now you I see you have a broadcaster. I'm on your pricing page here, and you have a broadcaster plan. So you have the pro, which is five hundred or four hundred ninety nine euros enterprise a thousand or 999 and then broadcaster is basically 5,000. Do you have all of the traditional broadcast support? So like dynamic ad insertion, um, DRM, subtitling, you know, all of those features that now are kind of becoming almost required or does someone need to bring that? Like, do you support that natively in the platform like dynamic ad insertion, subtitling, multiple language, you know,
2: that's all in there. Uh, DRM is not standard part of it. We are going to add AES encryption as a default uh, feature. Right now we have uh, URL signing and with with, with anti-deep linking protection as, as a default feature. And if you want DRM, you go to the expert level and we will help you encrypt the files and get a license server.
0: Sure. And you can go to one of the DRM providers and, and get that added,
2: right? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in security, we have easy and we had in, in the easy level, you have password protection and geofencing. And for smart, we have URL signing. You can individually lock every video and uh, live stream in real time. And all you have to do is sign a URL and then we, we, we pass through the request to, uh, uh, for the user. And if you want to go expert level, you can do uh, DRM, encryption, and licensing, and all that stuff. Subtitling is in there by default. Multi-audio uh, language streaming is in there. I mean, we are in Europe, and that's very important in here. So there's multi-CDN, and uh, at the broadcaster level, you can also connect your own origin server. So let's say you have a Wowza server or a unified streaming server. Some are running yourself or in the cloud, or you have already HLS content on an S3 bucket. You can just... With a single click add it and then uh you know publish all the media through the multi-cdn system that that's all in there
1: i'd like to talk about the technical challenges because you said you were streaming 4k video and uh, 8k video uh which with h264 is really a challenge as you mentioned it ends up in like 100 megabits that that uh, nobody can really uh uh, receive so let's talk about you know the more common case of 4k what are the the challenges that you're facing and and how do you solve them what are the bottlenecks when you're streaming 4k and how do you how do you handle this and make sure that you know you you approach this holy grail of consistent uh, smooth streaming of, of 4k live content on the open internet
2: Actually, H.264 is pretty good at streaming 4K. Uh, You just need a little bit more bandwidth. The the promise of HEVC is that it's so much better than H.264, but in reality, the differences are not that amazing. But it does require a lot of extra encoding uh, capacity, but also a lot of decoding capacity. So I think especially for the web 4K, H.264 is here to stay for many years. And of course, we will start adding other codecs uh, uh, soon. Now, I think the most challenging for 4K is not on-demand video streaming, it's live streaming. And the first challenge is to get the stream into the platform, uh, to get it out of the encoder uh, into the platform, because, you know, we call this uh, shit in, shit out. If the stream doesn't get into the platform, everyone will have a lousy uh, experience.
1: Yeah. Giggle, garbage in, garbage out.
2: Yeah, and if if streams get in uh, and you have some jitter or some issues, uh, when you start transmuxing it to into uh, HLS, it can get far worse because you're missing keyframes or so. Small jitters can result in in extremely bad experiences. So first of all, to get four K in, the the core network has to be fast. So we we're running on a European a fibering network that has great connectivity throughout Europe so that anyone who who wants to send in a 4K stream to our origin service has a good connection. Then, of course, those servers have to be able to perform to get those streams in. And then, of course, if we need to transcode it, our transcoders have to be able to to do 4K transcoding. We took uh, like a year to optimize our transcoding uh, service for live streaming. The on-air application to start streaming live straight from your browser uses that transcoding engine. And to make sure that it works for 4K, is, uh, it's, it's pretty hard. Actually, the, the on-air application itself to, to capture 4K from the browser is also a challenge. To, to capture real 4K quality from a browser.
1: And it, it's encoded in the browser? Or are you capturing it already encoded from the hardware encoder on on the user's uh, platform?
2: Depends on the user's device, of course. Uh, Most browsers can use hardware uh, encoding, so that's a benefit. uh, But of course, you need a decent laptop or a decent computer to do 4K streaming uh, in the first place. If you use an old MacBook Air with an Intel CPU, it will not work. But if you use the M1, easy. Just less than 7 or 10 percent load, you just get the 4K stream out.
0: Yeah, because it's a it's a serious video video machine there. So speaking of how you're capturing the video, you know, there's this new class, um, and, and there's an, a number of uh, prosumer manufacturers, even starting with Blackmagic, who have actually really pretty good uh, hardware video encoders that can plug into a computer. Is, is that the workflow you recommend? Or I'm thinking of like Vidion. Um, Vidion Central has a really nice little box that you can connect a camera to. Like, like explain that workflow or even the on-ramp. What do you recommend when people come to you? and?
2: Well, uh, we recommend to use on-air if they have no technical experience because it's just a single click and you have streaming and you don't have to worry about anything.
0: But they have to get a camera, though, connected. So I'm just trying to...
2: Uh- to your laptop, yeah just to connect a camera to your laptop.
0: So like literally just a webcam?
2: You can use the built-in camera, which is bad. You can use an external webcam, which is bad. And you can use an external A4K camera. We have a Blackmagic setup next door. Uh, and we plug in the Blackmagic cameras and they, then you have 4K uh, feed uh, really high quality video into your, into your computer. And if you don't want to use on Air 4K, we can recommend OBS because it's it's a very widely used uh, live encoder. It's a software encoder. But we have customers using all kinds of encoders. Uh, I, w- I think we have a list on our website with all kinds of recommended encoders. It's like over a dozen. Uh, because every customer has their own use case and they have the preference for either a software encoder or a hardware encoder. Uh, whatever. As long as we, we can get it in through... RTMP or RTSP or even WebDAV, if you start sending out HLS chunks, uh, actively pushing it to us, we, we can pull it off, over from HTTP, we're also adding SRT uh, in the future. Uh, currently, most of our customers use WebDAV to push the HLS chunks and, uh, and the manifest to our platform themselves. That's, that's very stable. And
1: we mentioned hardware encoding before. Uh, do you use any hardware encoding on your servers for transcoding or is that all software only?
2: No, not yet. We uh, we do all everything in software. That's the benefit of having our cloud. We have a lot of CPU power in there, so we can use software encoders uh, and, and decoders. But we are doing some tests. I'm I'm I don't know the brand, but we are we were testing some hardware uh, encoders and decoders, which are uh, NVMe based. Uh, Sounds
1: familiar, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Netint,
0: <laughs>
2: Really cool stuff because the the benefit, of course, it's it's hardware-based encoding and you can do 4K live encoding without any latencies.
0: And super energy. I noticed, I just noticed on the website a reference, greening of streaming. So.
2: We do everything with green energy. The entire cloud is powered by green energy. So the transcoding, the hosting, the streaming, also the analytics, which is underestimated, but it also takes a lot of CPU power. Uh, it's, It's everything powered by green energy.
0: And I understand that in the Netherlands, isn't there even a data center like restriction? Like you can't build new data centers now. And that's really posing a problem for growing video services. You know, like if you need excess capacity, if you've run out of rack space, like what do you do?
2: Let's not be political, but there is an issue in the Netherlands where consumers pay a lot of extra on their energy bill. Uh, with the idea that this extra money is being put into renewable energy investments like power plants and uh, windmills and solar panels. Uh, but the problem is that when the data center com- comes in, they eat up basically all the energy power from the green energy sources so the consumers pay for it but they don't have the benefit the benefit goes to the data centers so there's a lot of uh, opposition against this way of working with the data centers and uh, of course especially in these years where, where energy is getting more expensive and uh, and hard to get uh, people are opposing against the data centers i mean they, they were sold to us like data centers uh, give a lot of new jobs but you know, have you ever been in a data center?
0: <laughs> it doesn't really require too many humans. <laughs> I mean, really,
2: <laughs> it's like but the least as possible because human yeah. people, humans can break stuff, right? And right, and right. It's uh, dangerous yeah. to
1: put humans there. So, how do you approach greening that uh, data center?
0: Yeah, like what does it mean? You say you're you're green, so like. How do you how do you defend that? You know, somebody says, "Okay, what are you doing?"
2: <laughs> it, it starts with the data center. Uh, the data centers that we use uh, have been powered by green energy for for many years. And as I'm told, it's not just uh, waste energy or a greenwashed energy. It's actually green energy what they're using. And I, I have to trust them that they're doing this. The second thing is the infrastructure of the data center itself. And They have PMU, it's 1.2, which is the the effectiveness of the data center. So power getting out, out, uh, going towards actual data instead of just cooling or energy loss. And they do this because they use top cooling. Uh, The benefit of the Netherlands in that case is that our temperatures are not extreme high. So like 95% of the time they can use top cooling instead of using air conditioning. And that saves off a lot of uh, energy consumption. And those data centers use uh, cold corridors. So... They have forced airflow through the racks uh, instead of just cooling the entire area. Of course, the temperatures are a bit higher than usually you get in data centers. You, you're not freezing when you go there. You, you, you can actually go there with your Hawaii shirt and have fun. So that's what they do themselves. And then we started to do some other uh, things ourselves. Every video and live stream in our platform is being tracked for popularity. So if a video is not popular, it's uh, residing on a very limited number of servers. Uh, it's redundant, it's available, and it's high performing. But it's not eating up storage, unnecessary storage or power, and on, on a lot of servers. And if the videos or streams are not popular, the, the viewers are being sent to, that, to what we call the core layer, uh, which is built for serving out long tail content. So it's it's built for serving out a, a parallel a lot of different files and videos to to make sure we we perform. And once a video hits a certain threshold uh, for popularity, if it goes viral, it instantly will be scaled up to uh, additional service to serve it out. So we have tiers in the infrastructure. And only the very popular videos uh, and live streams are served out from memory from those services. So it doesn't eat up spindles or SSDs or whatever. It's just served out from memory and, and, and forked off to the users. And that's very power efficient. This
0: is a differentiation. I mean, okay, for example, does any other platform offer this?
2: I don't think so. No, and this is a decision we made over 10 years ago to build this software. Uh, We also don't use any DNS for multi-CDN or CDN distribution. We use what we call active load balancers. So all the user requests go to a software load balancing platform, and those load balancers are intelligent. They know about the existence of media and their popularity, and they keep track of it. So if the video is hit a number of times, then it will be popularized and put on multiple servers. And we have three layers. We have core, overflow, and multi-CDN. So if, it, if a video com- becomes extremely viral, it, it will automatically put on a multi-CDN system and people will be redirected to the CDNs. So the active redirection algorithm uh, and the active load balancers make sure that we can understand whether videos are popular or not because everything goes through the, through the load balancers. And then based on some settings, you can decide what this video has to be, or for this customer, video has to be, popular when they hit like five times per minute but for this customer it can take like 100 hits per minute before it goes viral uh, and and, and scales up
0: and and again at the expert level do i have control of that
2: yeah, full control. Actually, at the smart level, you have full control. For every video on the platform, you can select it and say, I want this video to be distributed through the Burst platform of Jetstream or through a specific CDN. You have full control over the distribution.
0: And then am I paying more?
2: Like, do I have to pay more to get the additional reach of the network? No, you, you get one price per gigabyte, and you, that's what you pay. So regardless through which network you, you push it. I must say that most of it's easy. works for them, but our algorithm to do it automatically for them because that automatically scales up and down.
0: Well, if the algorithm works, then why, <laughs> why get in there and mess with it?
2: <laughs> but if they, um, I, I have one very cool use case, which is kind of an edge case. We had a customer, and they were actually doing progressive video downloads instead of HLS video streams, and those were hosted on a platform, and we have a technology to prevent deep linking. We call this uh, ABR or so, and customers have to sign the URL before customers uh, before audio the audience can consume the the media from their website, and. Apparently, according to the algorithm, those videos were pretty hot and br- they were served out through one of the CDNs. We have like seven extra CDNs on top of the platform and one of the CDNs was serving out the content in the US while our platform was serving out the content in Europe. Apparently, Apple issued an update for Safari. So people started to update their computer and update Safari. And the combination with that specific CDN because of some header configurations and the anti-deep linking and progressive downloads broke so in the US, people could not download those videos, while in Europe they could. And the customer's calling us, and your system is broken, it is messed up, and we have an issue, and SLAs, you know, and we said, did you already change the routing? They said, what, what routing? We said, okay, select all the videos, reroute, go to CloudFront in that case, and boom, the videos worked. And that's the power of the active algorithms. So we use those load balances not just to measure the popularity, but also to geographically optimize and also to steer traffic to specific CDNs. So for every individual video and stream, you can decide how it's being distributed. That's massive control you get. And because we're not using DNS, but active load balancers with redirection, there's no latency. It's not like a giant switch over from one CDN to another. You have full, fine, granular control over the distribution.
0: It's interesting how you contemplated um, this feature even in the very initial design, you said, 10 years ago. So, you know, it's something that, you foresaw, I guess, you know, the need or just the advantage of being able to uh, direct and route traffic, and and now, of course, it's uh, proving to be very beneficial.
2: Ten years ago, we, we had very fundamental discussions about, okay, how do we reroute traffic? Will we use DNS like everyone, or can we do this smarter and get more control? And it's more expensive, of course, to to, to build this and to design it, and but uh, but it it pays out. I mean, if customers get better uptime and performance thanks to it. And, and we have the benefit of that. Do We know the footprint is small, so we don't have to invo- invest in all those servers with all the storage everywhere.
1: I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed with what you've built. I mean, it's amazing for, you know, quietly behind the scenes, maybe I'm saying behind the scenes because it's in Europe and not in the US, right? In the US, all the OVPs are making a lot of noise and, yes. and you're kind of quietly but surely, you know, built this platform that is really flexible. And it is green, and it is high-performant, and it's really amazing. So congratulations on what you've built. It's very impressive.
0: has some very unique and, and valuable features. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Are you able to share with us, or at least give us some ballparks of you know how many customers do you have? Um, both in terms of companies that are, you know, in other words, your customer. But then, like, what's the traffic? You know, I mean, how many videos or streams are you serving? You know, on a daily basis, or
2: uh, that's billions. But we, we're not disclosing volume or traffic or revenues or number of customers. It's, it's hundreds of customers. It's we're not a very large com- a company. We're a specialist. We. We tend to work for customers who have more advanced workflow needs than they can get with the video platforms, and they don't have the team or the money to build a workflow themselves on on a cloud. Basically, that's our sweet spot. And it's accurate what you've been saying. We have been lurking in the background, building all the stuff over the years, building these cases with customers. And uh, finally, last year we said, okay, now we are ready to present ourselves between the the other guys in the market. Because as you were saying in the beginning, it's becoming crowded in our industry. A lot of new vendors and a lot of companies have very large investments to to really scale up and, and get them. But in reality, most of them are not profitable at all and have no side of profitability at all and that's that's some that's a concern of course so we decided to switch from being purely a technical company which do, is doing all these great stuff in our labs and building all these these great workflow uh, stuff to do more marketing and more more active sales we have have been doing active sales in our market we just got customers through word of mouth and we cannot afford to just do that anymore we've seen that our Growth has been under pressure because of new vendors entering our industry. Some things are really concerning to me, like Clouds just giving away 10,000 euros of free budget just to use their platform. We can never afford this. And I think that's just breaking up the industry. And that's not, that's not good competition. That's just buying market and destroying everyone else's market share.
0: I really tend to agree with that. I mean, obviously it depends on where where you sit in the ecosystem. So if you <laughs> have the advantage of working for one of those big clouds, well, you think it's great, right? <laughs> Everybody should be giving away. But I really tend to agree. You know, I, I have an observation uh, and, uh, you know, Drawer, I think you've been there right next to me in a few of these cases where it's almost like uh, a combination of, of uh, I'll even call it unreasonable demands. You know, that can be pricing expectations or performance expectations, but not backed up with the willingness to pay it really hurts the industry. You know, it really does because invariably there's always somebody who's, you know, either desperate enough or who just raised a bunch of money. And so they're willing to go meet this. So they go off hoping that, well, there's going to be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow if we just do this work. And of course the pot of gold never comes. That company runs out of money, usually ends up closing down or getting acquired for pennies. And what ends up happening is an overall weakening of the video supplier, the video vendor landscape. It's an overall weakening until one day, you know, you, the customers wake up and go, wait a second, we don't have anybody reliable to support us. What happened? Well, in a lot of cases, it was self-inflicted, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, I, you know, obviously I guess it's a little bit of a partisan view because we're all basically vendors here uh, <laughs> in this discussion. So of course, we're going to feel this way, but there's real truth behind it. And yet, you know, as you get closer to these large organizations, you realize that they do have very technical needs. They do require expertise that you just can't go acquire a company and get. And, you know, if the industry isn't careful, they're going to wake up one day and look around and go, what happened? You know, where, where did all of the experts go? Well... You know they couldn't make a living, so they went off and did something
2: else. It's it's not the first time that we've seen this, of course. Have we've we've seen more bubbles and bursts in the past, and we survived those, and uh, by just being more conservative in, in spending our budget and but uh, spending our own money and investing it, we we hope to survive and and get some growth as well. Uh, but it's unhealthy for uh, for vendors to, you know, as, as you say, some get a deep investment and they all the, they need to show is growth. And, of course, you can buy growth by either acquiring stuff or just giving away stuff for free, but that's killing the market. But it's also a responsibility for the broadcasters and the publishers to say, okay, uh, I understand that stuff will cost money. Uh, because, uh, basically, if you want to do stuff yourself, look at the, the price you're going to pay there. We've seen so many telcos trying to build their own CDN, a streaming platform, spend hundred thousands, even millions and just wasting it and throwing it away and then going back to a vendor and say, okay, let's talk because we have to do something. And we, we hope that with our positioning, you know, b- between the video platforms and the cloud that we haven't found a nice sweet spot where we find customers who need better advanced stuff are willing to pay for it but are not willing to pay for having a large team running around to build it themselves. And I think there's a market there.
0: Yeah, you know, it really does resonate with me because there is this portion of the market. So, you know, the the, the market is amazingly diverse. Um, and as much as one would assume that a large publisher, you know, that may literally, you know, have multiple hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue or even billions, you know, of, of euros or dollars, depending what part of the world they're in, one would assume, oh, surely, you know, they've got then an equally large engineering team and they don't need, and amazingly, that, often is not the case. And yet they have advanced needs. So um, they clearly can't just take an off the shelf kind of a black box solution and just, you know, push go and, you know, they're done with it. But at the same time, so they need somebody who can bring the flexibility, but they don't have the desire. They don't want to go build the engineering team or their engineering team is busy doing other things that are more core, you know? And so there is this very interesting opportunity where, I can absolutely see where someone like yourself, you know, can come to market with this whole approach. I love this, you know, the, the easy to expert.
2: <laughs> don't believe me. Just you, you go online, go out to the website, ask for a free trial and just try it yourself. We also put some new video demos online on the website. But I, th- I think another great thing to differentiate is not just the green or the workflow automation or the performance is, is uh, a GDPR compliancy. That's also something we don't see with any other vendor. And we happen to be a European company, one of the few actually actually in this, in this industry, with our own European cloud. And actually last week we pushed out the latest cloud service from a third party, which was the video transcoding service. We actually were running it on AWS and we kicked it out because we built our own, which means that everything you do on our platform is inside Europe without any reach or non-European uh, vendors. It's, it's European only. And that's something that's getting more attention because GDPR is the European privacy law. And if you look at the law, it says you have to be really careful with sharing data outside of the European Union zone. And in the past, people interpreted this like, okay, I can use AWS, but as long as there is European vendor in between, there's no problem. And then the second step was, but if I can use Europe's uh, service of those vendors, I'm fine, but you're not safe. And I'm, I'm not saying that there is a bad intent from those cloud services, not at all. They just want to offer professional service. But they happen to be owned by U.S. companies and they are under your U.S. law. And that law demands access to any of that data. And some of the responses we get from broadcasters is like, yeah, but I don't care about the data. It's, I mean, my money is made from data, so I don't care about the privacy of my audience. But then my response is, well, you should because it's a law, first of all. But then again, what about your PR? What about uh, the, the, the bad publicity you can get by, by sharing data with third parties? But if you don't care about that, care about your own data. Because if you're a broadcaster or a publisher or whatever public institution and your audience data is hosted on some third-party cloud, and probably not just on one, but if you use a video platform, just check how many trackers there are. The the video player is hosted on Azure. The streams are on cloud front the analytics services on google and uh, data and there's maybe third-party vendors doing some uh, some some stuff as well so probably your data is on four or five or six locations who's getting access to the data and what's in that data because let's take a case you're a broadcaster your audience is in that data. Your most popular titles is in the data. Your entire programming is in the data. Your advertisers is in the data. So any competitor who has, has access to that data has access to your core business data, which you want to protect and keep it to yourself all the time. And if you cannot protect it and keep it to yourself, then at least make sure it stays within the European Union and doesn't leak out. And we're, we're seeing more traction, especially with public institutions, healthcare education but also insurance companies banks and they're all getting a little bit worried about okay who's having access to my data and that's something that we actually actively want to protect
0: yeah that's a very good point well we love discovering um innovative companies that are sort of flying under the radar a little bit and yet are doing um you know doing some some very um Uh, significant things in streaming and video and so it appears that um, we have uncovered yet another one and that being Jetstream so
1: yes awesome so uh, thank you Steph for this uh, really interesting uh, episode thanks for joining us on the Video Insiders today
2: glad to be here thank you very much
0: thank you for listening to the Video Insiders podcast This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.